Good morning, church. My name is Colton, and I'll be reading our scripture passage today. It's John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. It can be found on page uh, 836 in your pew Bible, and it'll be on the screen as well. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them one hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. Well, good morning. I'm going to dismiss our children, ages four years old, to kindergarten. Uh, Miss Kira is back there uh, to bring you. Well, it's good to be together. In the early 2000s, the show Ripley's Believe It or Not aired on TBS. I don't know if you ever saw the show. It was a fan favorite in the McHale household. It became popular for its circus-like collection of outlandish stories and acts performed by a peculiar set of people. Whether it was the man who consumed sharp metal objects, a snake charmer, or maybe a person who had 700 piercings, or a man who could flick playing cards over 100 feet, this show did not disappoint in providing a spectacle that kept you coming back for more. And in most cases, you wouldn't believe these people if you didn't see what they could do. After all, seeing is believing, right? Well, not necessarily. Seeing isn't always believing. And I guess it depends on what you mean by belief. If by belief you mean accepting the truth that something can be done, then sure. But real belief is more than that. Compare the awe-inspiring acts that are performed on Ripley's Believe It or Not to the awe-inspiring, beautiful act of a man giving an engagement ring to a woman. Engagement rings are amazing, beautiful, awe-inspiring. But why does a man give a ring to a woman? Just because they shine and sparkle? No. An engagement ring means something more, something much more. It means the loving pursuit of the man. 
his desire to be married, and it holds within it an invitation, a request to the woman to take him at his word. The kind of belief that we see called for in the Gospel of John is much closer to the latter. And Jesus continually presses people toward that kind of true belief. And we're going to see that this morning. True belief is not at its core seeing, but trusting, receiving. True belief is not just seeing what Jesus can do, but submitting to who he is and what he says. True belief is taking Jesus at his word. Jesus did and does amazing things. But everything he does is meant to say something about who he is, his identity, his character, and his mission in the world. He wants us to take him at his word, to know him, to trust him, to love him. That's true belief. And throughout John and in our passage this morning, Jesus is pressing us toward true belief. And he does so by doing three things. He knows our desire, he meets our need, and he lifts our eyes. He knows our desire, he meets our needs, and he lifts our eyes. Let's pray together before we go to the word. Lord, you know our hearts, you know the desires that we carry with us into this room. You know what we want. And we pray, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts, that you would draw those desires to the surface, expose them, that you might give us what we need. For you know what we need, and sometimes that's not necessarily what we want. So prepare our hearts to receive your word. We submit to you. We want to learn to trust you and take you at your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus knows our desires. Imagine two people walking into a restaurant. One is a 16-year-old boy who has just finished soccer practice. The other, a food critic. Why are they there? What are they looking for? Well, one is there because he's hungry and he needs to eat. But the other is there to assess the quality of the food, whether it merits attention or praise. And we see a similar set of characters here in this passage. We see a set of spectators awaiting proof and a helpless father with a dying son hoping for a miracle. We have the Galileans or the Jews and an official, most likely a man who served the ruler of Galilee at the time. And both the Jews and the officials draw near to Jesus. But they each do so for different reasons. They have different motives. They want something different from Jesus. What do you want from Jesus? Why are you here? Maybe you'll find yourself in this story. After graciously lingering with the Samaritans, Jesus enters Jewish soil. He's drawing near to his own people, specifically in verse 43 to 45. And John reminds us, as he does so, 
in verse 44, that Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his, own to- in his hometown. Or regarding this story, his homeland. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, we read in John 1, verse 11. The refrain of the Gospel of John is the skepticism of the Jews. The skepticism of the Jews and their rejection of the Messiah. But here, we read in verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Is this a glimmer of hope that the Jews are going to have a change of heart? That they really want Jesus? They welcome him. But why? We see it there in verse 45, because they saw what he had done in Jerusalem. Even more, what Jesus did in Cana. We can probably assume that back in Cana, in the first sign, it just so happens that I preached on that one the last time I preached, we can assume that some of those servants spilled the beans about the water turned into wine. Word had probably spread. The Galileans had also seen and heard for themselves Jesus do amazing things. But Jesus was a spectacle to them. They weren't interested in Jesus. They were just spectators waiting to watch the show, hoping to see a miracle. In contrast, as the Galileans welcome Jesus, hoping to see a spectacle, a boy is dying in Capernaum, about 20 miles from Cana, so maybe like Elizabethtown, about that far. Read verse 47 with me. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He's at the point of death. He's in the ICU. Doctors have done all that they can do. And as a loving dad who would do anything to save his boy, even if there's but a glimmer of hope in it, travels to meet Jesus. But why is he drawing near to Jesus? He's desperate. He's weak. He's got nothing to bring but a request. He doesn't come to see a miracle. He comes because he needs one. Death was at his doorstep, and he was powerless to keep it from breaking down his door. And all he had to go on was a word about Jesus. A word that there was a man who might help in Cana. In this, the official possesses the makings of true belief. For true belief begins with an acknowledgement of need and a dependence on Jesus for help. Who are you in this story? Are you the spectator waiting for Jesus to blow you away? Or are you empty-handed, desperate for his help? Is Jesus your only hope? In life and in death, or are you just here to watch and stand by until Jesus proves himself to you? What sign, what miracle are you waiting for him to perform for you? 
Maybe you look out on the world and you want societal reform. Maybe you want emotional healing, marital restoration, or maybe you just want your guilty conscience to be consoled or your fear of death assuaged. Great things. But if we want Jesus because he can give us these things, Jesus doesn't really matter to us. It's what he can do that matters. And when we want Jesus simply because what he can do for us, he quickly becomes a hired hand, a puppet, a genie, someone to use for our own ends. A genie only matters insofar as it gives you the three wishes. Their significance is contingent on what they can conjure. Jesus won't be our genie, but it'll be something better. Jesus knows our desires, and he meets our need. How does Jesus respond to this man and the Jewish onlookers in this passage? He speaks. That's all. In some way, Jesus doesn't do anything in Cana, according to this story. Both parties wanted or even needed Jesus to do something. But Jesus only says a word. And in doing so, Jesus may not give them exactly what they want, but he does give them what they need. When the man asks Jesus to heal his son, Jesus says in verse 48, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Even though Jesus is addressing the man, he's speaking to all those in Galilee. If you're reading from the Pew Bibles in the ESV, you'll see at the very bottom a little footnote that notes that that you is plural. Jesus is speaking to more than just this man. Jesus is saying, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. With a word, Jesus confronts the Jews and their preoccupation with signs and wonders, their desire for proof. It wasn't just that they wanted to see signs and wonders. They needed them. And in so many ways, at different times, they didn't just hope for a display of power, they demanded one. After all, Jesus claimed divine authority. And the Jews believed that they were owed proof to legitimize that claim. Do you believe that you are owed belief, that you are owed something from Jesus? Maybe you think that if you're going to have to submit to his authority over your life, then he ought to give you something in return. Is your relationship with Jesus a deal? The Jews were not owed anything. And neither are we. Even as Jesus spoke a word to the Jews, he does the same to the official. Read verses 49 to 50 with me. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Jesus doesn't condemn the official. He meets him in his desperation. With a word, Jesus heals his father's 
this father's son. But again, there's no spectacle here in Cana. There's no wondrous sign to behold. The sign that is given is a word of promise to a desperate father. No one in Cana saw proof of this healing. Jesus didn't offer any. No evidence, no verification, no scientific investigation could be done to ensure that the boy would live or that he did live. They only had a word. Go. Your son will live. They could either believe it or not. Sometimes Jesus doesn't give us proof. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we're longing for, what we think we need, tangible evidence of his presence and power in our lives, but he always, always gives us his word, a word of promise. In giving only his word, Jesus is pushing both the Jews and the Father toward true belief, a belief that doesn't rest on seeing signs but on trusting in his word. Jesus refuses to perform a song and dance for the Jews to garner their belief. The Jews wanted to test Jesus, and he didn't play their game, but goaded them to reckon with their hearts. He tested them. After all, the Jews didn't need a sign. After all, they needed a savior. Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, but what they needed. I have dealt with depression for much of my life, most severely from about 2012 to 2018. For a very long time, I begged Jesus to take it from me. But he didn't. At least not in the way I wanted. He didn't heal me. He didn't say no, however. He spoke a word, a promise, an invitation. He said, stay with me. Don't run away. I'm going to allow you to remain in the pit, but I'm going to come and sit with you. Stay with me. Listen to me. Draw strength from knowing who I am and that I'm with you, even though you have no consolation. And over time, with the help of good, good friends, I began to see the heart of Christ. Not in miraculous signs and wonders, but in his word, through his people. And by his grace, I was able to keep walking. Even with weak knees, knowing that I was held in his hand. Though I didn't always see it, he was enough. In some ways, that was the healing that I needed. Healing wasn't freedom from my pain, but trust in a Savior who lives and wanted to walk with me through it. Have you ever experienced this from Jesus before? Maybe you wanted something from him and he didn't give it to you, but simply asked you to trust him to wait on him and his word, his word that he loves you, his word that he cares for you, that he's enough, that he's good. Jesus withheld a sign from the Jews 
He only gave his word, and he did the same to the official. Jesus was also testing this man, not just the Jews. He was testing this man, inviting him to take him at his word. Would he believe and go, knowing that his son would live? And the official passes the test. Read with me, starting in the second half of verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This man and his family encountered Jesus that day and believed in his word. They found that their hope was well-placed. But in performing this sign for them, Jesus was not just meeting the need right before their eyes. He was lifting their eyes to see a greater hope held out for them in Jesus. Jesus knows our desires, he meets our needs, and he lifts our eyes. Return with me again to the image of a man proposing to a woman. Imagine what it would be like if when I gave my wife a ring and asked her to marry me, the only words out of her mouth were thank you. And then she left, went home, rejoiced over the ring, wore it and showed others but it was purely a gift. Nothing changed for her. But when I give her the ring, she either didn't want to marry me, which would have been a huge bummer, or she missed the point of the ring. An engagement ring is about so much more. It's a sign It's a symbol of a man's loving pursuit of a woman. If a woman receives an engagement ring and says yes, she believes not in the ring, but in him. His commitment, his desire to take up a new identity next to her. She looks beyond or through the ring and believes in his love, and it changes them both forever. Signs were never meant to just shock people. Signs are always meant to say something about Jesus. They testified to a truth greater than their own grandeur. Jesus doesn't perform wonders merely to prove himself, but to proclaim his glory in such a way that draws people in to know him and love him and worship him as Lord. After all, the amazing things that Jesus did were temporary. The the reality is that though the official's son was healed, it didn't mean that he would live forever. The wine ran out. Those that Jesus fed got hungry again. In this way, this sign was temporary. It wasn't the ultimate point of that day. To believe only in the miracle is to miss its greater meaning. What Jesus is saying 
and showing through this sign is that he has come to peel back the brokenness of the world. He has come to come face to face with the greatest evil, death. Jesus speaks and life triumphs over the grave. Sickness submits to him. He holds life in his hands and by his word he sends it out to whomever he will. But he didn't just make this boy well just to show what he could do and who he was, but what he would do. How far he would go to bring life to all who would come to him with the empty hands of true belief. Back in John 2, when Jesus, when, when the Jews demand a sign from Jesus after he cleansed the temple, he denies them one. Instead, he says this in verse 19 to 22. Remember, the Jew, Jesus had cleansed the temple, flipped tables, and the Jews says, hey, what sign do you give us for you to be able to legitimately do these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken in standard fashion with the Jews, Jesus doesn't give them a sign, doesn't give them what they want. At least he delays it. He tells them of the sign that he would do, the greatest sign of all, the resurrection. Jesus would be laid on his own sickbed. Death would be on his doorstep In similar fashion to the official son, Jesus would be at the point of death on the cross. The Jews didn't get what they want, so that's what they gave him, a cross. But he wouldn't be healed. He would die. And his family, unlike the family of that boy, would grieve his death and lay him in a tomb But in the same way that his word to the official, go, your son will live, was trustworthy and powerful to heal the boy, the word of Jesus regarding himself would prove true. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up. Jesus rose from the dead. The most marvelous sign of all, the resurrection shows us that Jesus is Lord and God. The king has come. And he is good. And he offers real and lasting hope to you through his resurrection if you will just draw near with empty hands. He gives you his word that he will do so. The resurrection can feel unbelievable, though. We hear that. Whether it's conscious or in our gut, it's hard to believe, right? Thomas One of his beloved disciples struggled to believe it. Even after hearing word from trusted friends that Jesus was alive, he declared in John 20, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark 
of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. Sound familiar? Here, one of the disciples is doing exactly what the Jews had done. This is one of Jesus' disciples doubting. But hear the gentle-hearted response of Jesus. In verse 27 of John 20, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Maybe you feel like Thomas. Maybe you're a Christian and you feel like Thomas. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're intrigued by Jesus, but you're hesitant, or you're skeptical, but you're searching. Maybe you're all of those things, and you feel like Thomas. And you say in your heart, I don't know how to take Jesus at his word. It feels so ethereal. If only I could just get a flesh and blood sign. If only he would just walk in the room. Be right here and show me himself. Then I'd believe. I want a sign. Well, we have one. Actually, we have many. And they're in this room right now. Every Christian is a miracle. A sign that proclaims the grace of the living Jesus proclaims our resurrected Lord. And all we have to do is look. Consider the person. Imagine. These are things that only God could do. Consider the person who has very little, but gives more than any of us will ever know because they love Jesus more than prosperity and they believe that Jesus will provide for them. Consider the man or woman who grew up skeptical of Christ because of the way Christians treated people, but now humbly believes in the love of Jesus and is walking in a way that testifies to it. Consider the person who hated Jesus because they grew up seeing their disabled siblings suffer, but now laments to Jesus in faith because though they can't see proof of his goodness, they trust him enough that he'll listen. Consider the many men and women among us here who have lost loved ones. Tragically so. Resurrection is nowhere to be found in that part of their story. At least physically. But they're still walking with Jesus. Even in doubt, even in frustration. Leaning on God's word of promise that those in Christ will live. These are signs of glory, and there's so many more. Only God could do these things in people. And these people weren't seeing their immediate circumstances. They didn't get a sign in so many ways. But they were taking God at his word, and we're invited to do the same. Do you doubt this morning? Pay attention 
to the signs of the lordship of Christ among us. Keep your eyes peeled for them. Ask people about their stories. Jesus is on the move among us, and these stories are about true belief. As we see through them to the only Savior who could do them, we ourselves enter into true belief as well and are invited to run to Christ like that official and find hope in the one who is peeling back this present darkness and will do so for good in the day to come. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, specifically your word of promise, your gospel that comes to us and meets us in our desires and sifts through our desires, purifies our desires, exposes our sinful desires, and draws us close. Thank you, Lord, for coming and meeting our needs Though they may not be in the way that we want or the way that we expect them to be, you do so. And you invite us to trust. You invite us to lift our eyes. So help us. Help us lift our eyes, Lord. You know the the struggles in this room, the stories in this room, the circumstances in this room, in the deeper places of hearts in people's practical day-to-day lives. Lord, lift up our eyes to see you on the other side of the sign that you are the living Jesus, the Lord of all, the one who can do all things and lead us into true belief, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.